Welcome to Crazy Crimes with Kara. I'm your host, Kara, and we'll be diving into a world of people who have their own brand of crazy. Serial killers, regular murderers, disappearances, unsolved mysteries, and maybe even some odd sightings of make-believe creatures. Or are they? Buckle up, buttercup. It's about to be one hell of a ride. I'm adding a disclaimer to this podcast due to the fact that people don't seem to understand that this is a true crime comedy podcast. So if that is not your cup of tea, please do not listen. I'm still going to continue to make and perform on this podcast the way that I want to make and perform on this podcast. Yes, it's informative. Yes, I will go through the details of crimes. Yes, I will poke fun at whatever I feel the need to poke fun at. If it isn't for you, don't listen. Before we get started on Colorado, has everybody seen this fucking Zodiac cipher being solved? Like, about the the Zodiac killers, you know, saying that he's not afraid of the gas chamber and all of this. Like, it took 50 fucking years for somebody with a computer and several weeks for them, them to figure it out. Like, I'm highly impressed that they figured it out, but that was a fucking dumb cipher. It was just more gloating and more bullshit. But I did want to talk about it for a second before we got into Colorado, because Colorado is going to be a little bit different. Um, We're going to talk about a criminal whose most of their crimes were committed while in prison. So they did commit crimes outside of prison, obviously, in order to get into prison. But this dude, most of his crimes are from inside of prison's walls, which I find fascinating. And I deal with people like this on a regular basis. So it is what it is. So we're going to talk about Marvin Gale Gray. So... Marvin was born in 1954 in Princeton, which is Caldwell, Kentucky, or I'm sorry, Caldwell County in Kentucky. And he was the seventh child in a family of 10. From the age of four, Marvin had severe panic attacks, and that resulted in him spending the next seven years of his life taking drugs. So this was a prescribed drug before you you get into it. But it contained methamphetamines. Can you imagine uh, giving methamphetamines to a four-year-old? That is wild. Like, the 50s and 60s needed to calm the fuck down on their drug use. But I'm sure in 50 years, people will say that about the drugs that we take. Anyway, Marvin um, worked in tobacco fields. He had, like, super labor, disciplined industries, like, Anything where he was physically working, these are the the jobs that he enjoyed doing. Um, He finally stopped having panic attacks in 1965. So he's almost um, 10 years old. No, he is over 10 years old. I'm sorry. Over 10 years old. Um, But his dad suffered a heart attack. And the main responsibilities for raising the children and running the family's budget fell on Marvin's mom. So at the same time, he had freed himself from excessive parent 
parenting essentially like you know one mom no dad really there um his mom is doing everything that she can i mean she's got 10 kids and a farm so it was one of those things that caused his behavior to change and his grades went into the toilet he wasn't disciplined anymore he was just doing pretty much whatever the fuck he wanted. So by the time he's 12, he gets arrested for the first time and convicted of infiltrating into a foreign property and theft and was sent to an institution for juveniles. So basically, trespassing and theft. He broke into somebody's place and he fucking robbed them. So according to Gray... An informal hierarchy of minors reigned in this institution that he is placed in, where the youngest and most physically weak were subjected to sexual violence and all kinds of humiliation. This is 1965, mind you. Um, and then being in this institution, Gray's psycho-emotional state changed some more. So he is very much a product of whatever his environment is or is changing to. He adapts very, very well. Um, he learned self-defense while he was in there. He acquired destructive feelings like rage, hatred towards elders and representatives of the law, and then moral psychological traits like cruelty, callousness, things like that. When he was released in 68, he full-on began a criminal career. Uh, and his first day at school after being released, he was expelled for carrying deadly weapons on the property and threatening school officials. So this guy was great to start out with, panic attacks, all of that. But, I mean, he tried his best to do what he needed to do for his family in the beginning. And then his dad passes from a heart attack and shit changes, like, real fucking quick. And... It didn't work out the way anybody thought. So we'll get into what he did criminally plus what he did while he was in prison, you know. But, I mean, imagine, though, being such a product of your environment that every time you were sent there, you developed and adapted to those places to be the cruelest kind of person you could be. I can't imagine. In 1970, Gray went into a neighbor's garage and stole a weapon from a car. Within a few days, he made several more thefts and attacks, threatening each one of his victims with a pistol. He was arrested. He was accused of a robbery, burglary, illegal possession of weapons, and threat of murder. In 1971, at the age of 17, Gray received five years in prison, and he was transferred to the Kentucky State Prison, a hundred-year-old stone prison that they called the Castle. Every state has a old prison that has a crazy name um we have like the walls and brushy mountain and things like that so every state has one if you're interested in what your crazy prison is for your state definitely look it up um most of them do tours and things like that anyway during his incarceration, Gray took up powerlifting. If you don't know what that is, that's like those huge weight lifts. Like you're pressing 500 pounds one time or whatever. Like it's massive, massive amounts of weights. 
He developed a tattoo addiction and became a supporter of the concept of white supremacy. So he was probably put in with Aryan Brotherhood. This is the 70s. Um, it could have been Aryan Nation. It's Kentucky. Um, so he's probably, you know, hanging out with his SS lightning bolts tattoo since he has a tattoo addiction um, and all that. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, it this is essentially now, um, it is mostly a prison gang. Back then, people out on the streets were still like that because this is the early 70s. This is still a time in which segregation is still a very big thing. Racism is huge. You're in Kentucky. So, I mean, things are still very segregated probably um, even though all these laws had changed it by this point, it's still one of those things that, that was occurring. Um, he was released early in 1975. At this point, he's about six foot two and weighs 220 pounds, and he has a lot of muscle. So at six foot two and 220 pounds, you really wouldn't think that somebody's covered in muscle. Um, six foot two, 220 is actually about standard 200. You're pretty fucking skinny at 200 at six foot two. Um, but he's got a lot of physical strength. So this man is just built to the T at this moment. Um, so his brother Eugene convinces him because he's released early to move to Denver. And he did. He found a job at the O'Neill Hotel and that's located in the city center. And by the summer of 1975, Gray and his friend William Felter were arrested on charges of assaulting police officer James Dotsman, who had received a gunshot wound. So he's not even out for a year. And he's already fucking shit up again. Like, he's all over the fucking place. He is definitely fucking shit up. Um, Dotsman had been investigating a murder of a 26-year-old man named Joseph Dotter who was killed earlier that day in the vicinity of the hotel. So while he was near the crime scene, Gray and Felder opened fire on that police officer, and Datsman actually survived. And he pointed that Felder was the one who shot him, even though Gray says that he's the one who shot him. Uh, but the court just considered the officer's testimony as priority over who shot, said who was shot, you know. So, you have a man openly admit that I shot a police officer, but the court says, well, the police officer says you didn't. So, kind of fucked up. It's the 70s. I don't know what to fucking say. Um, 70s were a very strange time for everything. We had a lot of serial killers and everything else. So, um, so he's, he's only accused of theft and complicity of the crime of the police officer being assaulted. Um, and he's sentenced to four years while William Felder got 20. So the ballistics on that actually showed that the bullets that killed daughter and the one that injured Dathman were from the same firearm, but nobody was charged in the death of Joseph daughter. Nobody that it's still not solved. Ain't that some shit? You have the weapon in hand. You know where the weapon is. And, yeah, nothing fucking happened. And those guys could have gotten life because it was murder. 
But no, nobody charged them. Fucking crazy ass. Uh, so we're kind of popping back and forth between um, Colorado and Kentucky a lot. Um, but right now we're in Colorado still. So while Gray is in custody, he committed his first crime against an inmate. First crime against an inmate. Inmate David Cook was found beaten and strangled at the end of 1977 in his cell. Uh, Gray was pointed out as a suspect by several witnesses, but all of these prisoners changed their testimonies. And despite allegations that Gray threatened them, uh, with physical violence, he was never charged with that murder either. So, as of right now, he has two murders on his books um, in a 10-year period. Two. We're counting. Two murders in a 10-year period. All right. So, in 1978, Gray was released early again and returned to Kentucky where he met his significant other. I don't know if it was really a wife um, but it was his significant other, and it was 17-year-old Sheila Oldsbrook. By the next year, 1979, they had a son. But he beat the hell out of this girl. And as soon as he was arrested for stealing a car in 1979, she ended the relationship and got gone. Um, when he stole this car, he was helped by an accomplice named William Purdue. And... March of 1980, Gray, Purdue, and another inmate named Jerry Keller escaped from prison. They stole a van, and they fought so much along the way that it resulted in Gray beating Keller to death and disposing of his body somewhere in the city. Um, but they, him and Purdue, make it to Denver. And he was identified by somebody that knew him there already. And he was arrested again. And though they found traces of blood and a bloody screwdriver inside the van and Gray was interrogated, he gave no explanation about the fate of William Purdue. And they never found his body. Nobody knows what happens to Purdue. Though they do know that he killed Keller, they found that body. They don't know, and I mean, they could have thought that Purdue killed Keller. They don't really say that he was charged with anything on that front. But, you know, it is what it is. So, he's up to four bodies. And we've made it through the decade of the 70s. So, four bodies. And this man keeps getting early releases remind you of that every prison sentence he has done so far he has been released early so um he escapes again in 1982 so two years later he's escaping again he shows up in denver again he met a girl named jolene 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 um garner is her last name um, on September 1st of 1982 and she refused to have sex with him so gray stabbed her 14 times and killed her Five bodies. He was actually arrested and convicted in 1984 of her death, and he was sentenced to 16 years in prison. So we're we're 16 years. Um, in 1986, he's charged with raping a cellmate. So another crime in prison. Um, the investigation got terminated because they're like, oh, it's not violent. 
Well, let me tell you about what happened in the 2000s for Prison Rape Elimination Act. It was instituted, and that is what we call PREA, considering that it's a federal law. There is no such thing as consensual sex in prison, period. No one can consent to having sex in prison while they are a ward of the state because it is considered like a power play kind of ordeal. Um, so nobody, there's no such thing. It doesn't matter if it's an officer. It doesn't matter if it's an inmate. There's no such thing as consensual sex in prison. But at this point in time, as long as it wasn't an aggressive act, you consented to sex. And that was that. Like you, you consented. If, if you weren't beaten and then raped, it's not rape. You're just gay. So because he didn't actually get a charge for that, he got um, an administrative penalty or what we in corrections call a write-up, which adds points to the offender, kind of like points to your license. You can lose your license. Well, points to an offender like that can send them to maximum security, which it pretty much did. So he just went to another prison that was more intense. Probably not maximum, but just a higher level. Um, then they released him on parole in 1991. Okay, this is supposed to be a 16-year sentence. He was convicted and arrested in 84. And it's 91. You've not even served 10 years in prison yet. And you got parole. But this time, he was super limited on his freedoms because he had a probation officer appointed to him. He had to find a job. He wasn't supposed to leave the state of Colorado. Um, and he couldn't be in places or move to places where children or young kids uh, congregated because of this rape allegation, I would assume. Um, so two days after he got released, he got on a bus and went back to Kentucky. So immediately violating the conditions for his parole. And he appeared in the city and Marvin was looking for his family members, but they were fearing his temper and reputation told police to be vigilant. Uh, so they got 200 bucks for saying, Hey, he's already out of place. And they forced Marvin to get on a bus and return to Colorado. So they're fearful of this man because he is extremely violent. He's extremely muscular and he's just something else. Uh, so he goes back to Colorado. He does a bunch of different odd jobs until 1992 when he's arrested for burglary again. Um, but given the severity of the crime he committed in 84 on uh, Jolene, he and the violation and conditions of his parole, the court um, actually didn't do like time served or anything. He was given life imprisonment and he wasn't ever released again. So it only took them, you know, 15 years, almost 20, um, from the time he killed some fucking buddy, 15 years, uh, to be like, mm, we don't need to let this fucker out because he sucks. Like he's killing everybody. If they make him mad or anything else. Yeah. He's fucking crazy. So Gray goes into prison for his life imprisonment. He, at this point, weighs 308 pounds, and he's continuing to be extremely invested in powerlifting. Um, his official record in the bench press 
was 551 pounds, squatting was 992 pounds, and deadlifting was 860 pounds. So this dude can throw some fucking weight. I mean, like, he can literally throw some fucking weight. More than three times his body mount body mass like he he's enormous at this point 308 pounds of muscle basically so in november of 1992 gray was charged with the murder of another inmate named daniel green who was an informant in a drug case um gray blamed green's murder on two black cellmates so they lived these two black men lived together in a cell their cellmates um but five other inmates testified against Gray. Despite the fact that he was charged with first-degree murder, Gray was never convicted of Green's murder. He, he was charged, but he was never convicted. Um, and then in 1993, he was transferred to another prison because of this. So in 1993, at this new prison, Gray beat and raped his 27-year-old cellmate, Gary Hilton, and then less than a week later, he committed another similar crime by raping James Mervin. And then they transferred him to the Colorado State Penitentiary on a special high security measure where they had exceptional security and he didn't have a cellmate or anything like that. So, like, he just continuously commits crimes. He's killed people in prison. He's killed people out of prison. He's raping people in prison. I mean, he's doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, so, he served almost seven years. Um, and then he started showing signs of more defiant behaviors. So, beginning in 2000... Uh, he suddenly began confessing to murders he had never been accused of committing. In December of 2000, he confessed to 23 murders. Uh, that's a fucking lot. Because at the, at the last count we had, we had six that we, were known that he committed them. Six murders. Now we're at 23. And this motherfucker is just like, I guess I feel fucking bad because I'm, you know, in my 50s and are getting ready to be 50 and I'm feeling bad for the shit that I've done. So he was transferred to court uh, and then he threatened to kill his lawyer appointed by the state. So this motherfucker's just batshit crazy. And then in March of 2001, he convinced to committing 31 murders total, not an additional. We're just up to 31. And he got interviewed by the Denver Post. So while he's being interviewed with them, he's just revealing all the details of his criminal career and what his life was like as a kid and all of this. So he says in this interview that he committed, he committed his first murder in 1971 when he was 17. And then, almost at you know, 26 late years later, and Gray's confessing that he's the one that killed Joseph Dider, of course. And on the day, that same day, he tried to kill James Datsman, the police officer. He also said that after serving his sentence, he was released in 78 when he met his significant other, Sheila Oldsbrook. Um, 
it was necessary to control her, so he committed a series of seven murders alleged in the state of Nebraska, Tennessee, Iowa, Kentucky, and Illinois. So he was just kind of hopping all over the place, killing people in an attempt to control his girlfriend. Didn't make fucking sense, but okay. Uh, He claimed responsibility for the disappearance of his accomplice, William Perdue. So he should have. And he also was talking about uh, Keller that he killed. Uh, He said that he killed Purdue by stabbing him in the neck with a screwdriver and threw his body into a landfill. So, that was in the early 80s, and we're at 2001. So, 20 years later, and he's like, yeah, I stabbed him in the neck with a fucking screwdriver, threw him in a landfill, and y'all never fucking found him. The end. Um, He also confessed to the murder of a man and that was committed in the state of Indiana in 1982. Uh, and then when he was released for the last time in January 1991, Gray alleged that he committed the most murders during that year uh, than he had in the entirety of his life. He described in detail the murder of a young man in the city of San Francisco. And he said that he threw the corpse into a dog kennel. According to... Gray's testimony, he also committed three murders in the summer of 1992, shooting Joseph Salos and then killing a prostitute in Denver and another man also in Denver that he didn't know who that was. Um, The last crime in which he confessed to was the murder of Daniel Green. And despite his extensive testimonies, he was only charged with the murders of Dider and Solis. Um, And then the latter, he, you know, he killed... During a robbery in Denver, Joseph Sleese was who he said. So, despite that, all of these confessions came out. And the FBI finally started their own investigation. Going through the credibility of his testimonies uh, caused a lot of controversy. So, in some instances, Gray said that he would describe things in detail of the murders that he committed many, many years ago and provided evidence of this, though it made it difficult to ignore his confessions, but they couldn't prove that he did it even though he confessed to these crimes. So, you know, is it somebody taking, you're already in in prison for life, is it somebody taking credit for somebody else's crimes because they want some attention or whatever the fuck, but... So, um, he was made to undergo a polygraph test to see if he was lying about these confessions that he was making. And they confirmed the truthfulness um, of at least 18 murders. But those test results were invalidated due to the fact that Gray was taking medication. It doesn't say what kind, just that he was taking medication. So, it became clear that in a number of Gray's statements... They had nothing to do with reality at all. Um, So his confessions reflected a big discrepancy in like dates, um, geographic data, and the seasons when the victims were allegedly killed. Some of the killings and disappearances of people who could theoretically be related to criminally um, was while he was serving time in prison. In one case, he said that he had committed a double murder in 1991 in Louisville, Colorado, but then confused his testimony. He said that he had lied. 
in general, his stories reflected just bad memory or him taking credit for something that he didn't do. So, nobody else was going to accuse him of the remaining crimes. The investigation continued to sort out what was real and what was not real. So, he's just kind of like fucked up in the head, obviously. Um, and a number of specialists, um, like the prison psychologists and things like that, said that Gray's actions and statements could be pure fantasy. But in his opinion, the reason for the deviant behavior of the criminal was social deprivation, which in turn was the result of Gray's eight-year-old isolation in solitary confinement. So he was he was put in solitary for eight years because of that rape and all of that and the murder of Daniel Green. And now he doesn't know what's true and what's not or if he's made it up. Um, but Gray was assigned a forensic medical examiner, which revealed he had antisocial personality disorder. Um, I don't know if he's still considered to have panic attacks or anything else at this point, but he probably does. I mean, he's just fucked up in the head. But June 6, 2001, Gray was f officially charged with uh, the murder of Joseph Dider and Joseph Solis. And he received another life sentence as punishment. And in June 2002, he made another confession, this time admitting that in June 1992, he killed five women in his hometown of Princeton, Kentucky. And Gray petitioned to be transferred to the crime scene where he was ready to show the burial places of the victims. But he was never transferred there. He doesn't know if these women were ever found or if they even existed or if he's just taking credit of five crimes that he may or may not have committed again, reality versus um, fantasy. So the true scale of his actual crimes are unknown because he committed a lot while he was um, out when he had escaped, he committed them out when he was released and in the short periods of time that he wasn't in prison during his life. And then he was committing them while he was in prison as well. Now, this dude is dead. He died July 19, 2013 from heart failure while he was still in um, the Colorado State Penitentiary. And he just confessed to a bunch of fucking shit. And they couldn't prove that he was telling the truth. Um, it just kind of boggles my brain that somebody would be like, yeah, I'm going to confess to all these fucking murders that I might have just made up in my head while I was in solitary confinement for eight years. Like, mm, you're a fucking murderer, possible serial killer, but everybody's just like, yeah, we don't know. Because, I mean, at this point, I would, I would list him as a serial killer. He killed so many people for dumb shit but his victim scale is all over the place he killed men he killed women he killed prostitutes he killed working class he killed prisoners he killed anybody he could pretty much put his fucking hands on it's not like he had that um victim to script he went by anybody that pissed him off and then he's just this big burly tatted up Aryan that it, most people would be scared of so I can't fathom why they wouldn't investigate further into the crimes. 
Um, I, I get that the FBI did do an investigation because he had committed or admitted to committing multiple crimes in multiple states across the country. Um, but Colorado was his, his big home front. So, but he wasn't convicted of, of any rape crimes, which is kind of wild. But the only rapes that are known are the ones that occurred while he was in prison. So, I guess we'll we'll never know what happened to all these people that he probably killed. We'll never know. Thank you guys so much for sticking around and listening to these wild tales with me. You can follow us on Instagram at crazy crazy crimes with Kara and that's Kara with a K. You can also email us at crazy crimes with Kara at gmail.com to share some of your crazy stories, whether that's a story um, about a brush with death or crazy sibling fight or something sweet and kind of silly. We'll read it all and we'd be happy to hear from you. I hope you enjoyed the ride and kept your seatbelt on tight. Stay safe out there and don't forget to find your brand of crazy.